0: Welcome to Complete Curiosity, the podcast that addresses the big questions in little segments.
1: Hello, and uh, welcome to the eighth Complete webinar The New Normal, New Ways of Working. Thanks for joining us. If you've joined us before, or any newcomers, uh, definitely all welcome. I'm Katie Ledger, and I'll shortly introduce you to Dr. Alan Watkins. And just want to recap for you the webinars that we've done so far. You can look at all of those webinars there on our, our website, uh, and you can see them now and uh, right back to March the 23rd, and uh, also as as podcasts as well. So just access those through dot com. So today's uh, welcome, Alan.
0: Afternoon, Katie. <laughs>
1: And uh, the phrase new normal, I'm getting rather sick of this, I have to say. Are, are we are we there yet? Are we in a new normal?
0: Well, I sort of think the phrase new normal is actually completely unhelpful because it, it sort of implies we're trying to normalise a crisis. And I think that's really quite dangerous in a way that, you know, how normal is it that all these people we're furloughing are going to lose their job? I mean, how normal is it that uh, the recession, we're going to go into perhaps the biggest recession since the depression in the 20s. And how normal is it that unemployment, depending on who you ask, already probably at 14, 15%, or some people believe, may even in America, top 30%. And the number of people claiming unemployment in the States, if you look, that's just not normal. This is not normal times. And, And it's been calculated that by the end of the year, the UK will be the UK government would be 300 billion in debt and the US government 3.7 trillion in debt. That's not normal. And if you look at the, you know, cases in the UK, we're currently topping 33,000 deaths in the UK, second highest in the world. Why is that normal? Why would we think this is normal? And I'm reminded of that lovely film that Sandra Bullock did. I mean, who doesn't like Sandra Bullock, to be honest? I know you do. Uh, well, I'm a big fan, of course, uh, who isn't. Our brand is crisis, which was really about a political storm in Latin America. And she was a PR spin doctor, using crisis to achieve a certain goal. And you have to wonder, when people trot out this phrase, the new normal, Right? who's saying this? And why are they saying this? And it does worry me that we're trying to normalize a very abnormal situation. And that's not a good thing. You know, so who benefits you have to ask yourself who benefits from normalizing this crisis and trying to make it permanent and create this whole environment that we're under threat continually that this is now normal this level of crisis and disruption is now normal and just get used to it people you have to wonder who's benefiting from that so i think given all of that you know i think we should be thinking not about a new normal but a new balance and maybe a new meaning and we talked in one of the previous webinars about when you're in a crisis, two roads ahead, you know, if it becomes crisis as normal, you're really going to drive people down that sort of PTSD route, where we're normalizing pathology, we're normalizing panic, we're normalizing fear and worry and anxiety. And why are we driving people that way? If we're going to come out of this in any kind of healthy state, we want to go down the other path. And so we talked in previous webinars about you know, emotional regulation, emotional balance. How do you get to the, you know, uh, crisis as an opportunity? How do you get to post-traumatic growth, PTG? It's through creating balance and meaning. So I think a much more useful phrase rather than the new normal is to start to think about a new balance and a new
1: meaning. Well, what, do you, what do you mean by by a new, a new balance or a, a new meaning?
0: Right, so so let, let's think about you know what is it we're trying to balance. So again, no doubt in a crisis it causes us to question the way that we're living our lives, and then very clearly you know people up first on the list of balancing what exactly? Well, work and home. I mean, many people working from home now are trying to find a balance in you know their work and their home life. You know, my commute to work now is 12 seconds from my bedroom. (laughs) That's not normal, you know, but how do you balance? How do you work from home in a balanced way? How do you maintain a, a semblance of healthy family life when, you know, you're not leaving the house? So what is my homework is I've got to learn to work from home. That's my homework. And so we've got to find in our lifestyle a balance between home and work. We talked earlier on in an earlier webinar about. Oh, yeah,
1: Alan, just, just coming mm-hmm. on that one, you know, that homework is a big one for people because mm. it, it, they may never go back to working in the same way that they did.
0: Exactly. That's exactly my point. So we have to find a new balance. You know, how, how, does it do, how do you do that? How do you maintain uh, a productive working life while working in the same space as you maintain a healthy family life? We need a new balance. And, uh, you know, how do I look after myself when the risk is I work even longer hours because I've got no buffering of a a, a sort of commute to and from work? So we have to find a new balance in our lifestyle. Uh, That's my point. You know, and we talked earlier on about many companies, you know, will uh, probably unfortunately go to the wall because their reserves and how much they'd sort of saved for when things get difficult wasn't at the right level and their debt or their spending was way too high. So, you know, maybe individual businesses and certainly nation states need to look again and try and find a new balance between, you know, saving and spending or reserves and debt. And we also talked earlier on, in a previous webinar, uh, about wealth balance around the world, Uh, you know, and it's not right that eight men have as much money as half the planet. Or I was talking to a client, yesterday who runs a business in mexico 50 men in mexico have the same wealth as the rest of mexico i mean this is all over the world this sort of this is not balanced this is not healthy we're not in a healthy state of course everybody knows about climate change and the fact that we haven't got the balance right between the co2 production which we may have to do to some extent to create energy and keep ourselves warm at night And the balance between production and removal of all the CO2 we we've put into the atmosphere, what's called the sky fill, that's not, climate is not balanced right now. And maybe we need to find a new balance in the way that we live our lives. And many people have seen these sort of pictures. It's been very interesting. The balance has been temporarily restored to China. So if you look at the image on the left around Beijing and Wuhan and other places in January before COVID hit, and then when everybody shut down, the nitrous oxide production just evaporated and, and the image to the right, the same was true in France and Spain and Italy, a different sort of balance. So are we really balancing our lives in the right way in terms of climate, food production? I mean, you know, there's a, a very interesting debate going on, on the internet about these xenotropic diseases, which is a virus jumping from animals to man. And is that to do with food production, food safety, and so on? You know, have we got the balance right in terms of the risk and the safety in the way that we produce? You know, are we consuming too much food? There are 2 billion people starving and 2 billion people obese. That's not balance, you know, and, and the, the obese are often overfed and undernourished and we're wasting 30% of all the food produced. That's not balanced. So, you know, I think of it in terms of all these balance points and if we make it a little, even a, a bit simpler, the way that we even debate these issues is not balanced. The way that we debate, you know, is very combative. You look at all the parliaments and the political debate and discourse, very, very combative. You know, operating from the I'm right, you're wrong, and let's get into a punch up. And the media amplifying that because it loves a bit of jeopardy and a bit of conflict. I mean, I, <laughs> I was quite amused by Piers Morgan this morning on ITV, you know, haranguing yet another visitor. And, and it's kind of entertaining on one level, but... Uh, it's not a balanced debate. And um, why don't we have a debate where wisdom is what yeah. we're after, not a punch-up, uh, well, not it a combat? Well, Parliament wasn't designed
1: for wisdom, was it? I think, you know, with no. the... With, uh, and that's the problem, state. right?
0: That is the problem. We're not having balanced, wise commentary and wise debate. We're just having a punch-up. That's not balanced. And it, even, you know, how we support each other, you know, the sort of service mindset and we haven't got the balance right between self-promotion and promotion of others. I mean, in society, most societies, you know, applaud and vaunt people who make millions of pounds for themselves. And we put them on the front of magazines as this great business person. And the people who don't get put on the front of magazines are people who do a lot of work for others. You know, we we, we sort of promote particularly in the West individualism. So have we got the balance right between self-interest and interest of others?
1: to see whether the, the nurses and, and medical professions rise up that, that list still in the next few months.
0: No, indeed, as they should. But I think there's a wider issue here, you know, the unsung heroes of society. And it's a slightly more complicated story. It's easier to put one face on the cover of a magazine than think about the collective, you know, the collective face. But we have seen a bit of that in terms of the collective face of the NHS. But, you know, have we got the balance right between the nonsense we see in the media and the sense-making. You know, we see you know, that Dahl's moved massively towards fake news and, and a lack of truthfulness, and we haven't got the balance right. So when we're thinking about do we need a new normal? No, we need a new balance. And, and these are just some examples. There are many, many more. So we need a new balance in our life and the way that we live as human beings, in my view. Okay. And the, just to pick up the point about wise is... Okay, so if we get a new balance, how do we create meaning? And we talked about this in an earlier webinar as an important sort of game-changing stepping stone to uh, getting to, you know, seeing crisis as an opportunity to really change our lives in a more meaningful way. And Gallup did a very interesting piece of research uh, a few years ago because it used to be believed that what people wanted from their life was health, wealth, and happiness. And Gallup discovered about three or four years ago, that's not true. They want meaningful work people want to have their lives mean something. And how do we create meaning? Well, you know, I I think, you know, in order to create meaning, you have to put the work in, which is why I've got a couple of interesting photos here to make this point. Putting the work in means, you know, actually reading, means actually thinking deeply about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And is it healthy? You know, and far too many people are sort of obsessed with superficiality and celebrity and, you know, celebrity magazines. And, you know, we want wise leaders, but who's prepared to put the effort in to sit down and read a book and not just read a book, but reflect on what they're reading and really understand, do some deep study on how do we improve the human condition? How do we improve meaning? Uh, And you have to train your mind, you have to train your mind to do this. And there are no shortcuts to that. So if we want to change the world, then enough of us have to put that work in. So can we grow our ability to make sense of things? Can we improve our ability to make sense of things? Can we increase our ability to differentiate, you know, different things? So or, or are we going to take a superficial view, a blanket approach, a very unsophisticated, simplistic view that every virus has got to be vaccinated? Well, that's just not true. It's nonsense, you know. Can we take a more sophisticated approach to the human suffering that results from COVID? As we said earlier on in earlier webinars, that the only thing that counts is death. Well, it's not the only thing that counts. Of course, it's critical. You know we, every human being would want to reduce the death rate, but many people are suffering mental health problems, as we've discussed earlier. Many people are going to suffer economic hardship. I mean it's quite clear across the world that we're going to enter a period of intense poverty as if there weren't enough poor people already, many people who were sort of on the breadline, and again, just talked to my client in Mexico yesterday, 50% of Mexicans live in, on the edge of poverty. Even in America, you know, 40% of Americans are three paychecks away from ruin. So we're going to see some big significant shifts, but we need to increase our ability to think in a more subtle, in a more nuanced way about these problems and the reason we keep getting these problems and we don't solve these problems is we're taking too simplistic a view
1: so i'm sensing the answer to those last three questions is yes
0: well of course it is because we'll we'll never get out of this mess if we keep doing soundbite journalism if we keep taking simplistic approaches to what are incredibly complicated wicked issues these things are complicated so we have to put the effort in if we really want to move forward. You know, we have to study ourselves, study each other, study these phenomena, and wise up, become a bit more wise, a bit more mature, a bit more nuanced, uh, a bit more subtly in our thinking. And so... so, How do
1: we go about that, Alan?
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in organisational terms, we need a new plan, basically. You know, we need a new strategy for our business. The world is is changing very significantly. And as we've discussed before, you know, COVID, the Lakers, is basically condensed 10 years of progress into three months and it's made everything way more intense so given all of that we need to plan we need a strategy uh, for ourselves you know things like well-being you know how do we properly take care of ourselves and we talked earlier on about mental health strategies that work and don't work so we've got to focus on the stuff that really really works and superficial platitudes just don't cut it anymore you know we've got to get to the things that really move the dial on things like well-being for ourselves. So it's not enough to just close your eyes and relax a bit, do a bit of meditation, a bit of mindfulness. It's not enough. You know, we need things that actually move the dial in terms of how people feel about themselves, how worried people are. We need proper strategies that work. And we talked about them earlier on in these webinar series, as you know, Katie. Yeah, Teams. You know, everything is going to become, you know, e-everything, as we call it. Everything is going to go online, digitization of the world. You know, COVID's done more for digitization uh, and the digital transformation agenda than a 1,000 CEOs. So teams need a new plan for how they're going to interact with each other, you know, where they're even going to be based. We've heard clients say, look, we don't need 90 offices. We'll probably down to 50 offices. Many people will permanently work from home or semi-permanently work from home. So we need a new plan of how teams are going to actually still perform to a high degree when they're geographically dispersed. You know, we need a new plan for that. Yeah, exactly. And we need a new plan for our business. You know, I mean, there's clearly going to be some significant changes in consumer behavior. You know, people will probably take, you know, fortunately, pay much greater attention to hygiene factors in their life, you know, know, cleanliness and so on, quality of food. So if we're all poor, we... We just don't have the money to buy food. Well, at least maybe we should buy quality food. So less food, but more quality. So quality food, uh, dealing with poverty. So businesses, you know, if they're selling products to the high end, well, that proportion of clients who are high end is going to shrink. Middle market is going to shrink. There's going to be a lot more what's called bottom of the pyramid sales that need to go on. How do you support people at the bottom of the pyramid in society? You know, and how do you personalize your offer to them and everybody, frankly? There's going to be a lot more localization. Uh, And we we say it on the news already is people thinking, well, we've got to grow food for ourselves. There was an item on the news this morning about Russia. You know, their payout to their workforce is a check for $30 and that's it. So if you lost your job in Russia, you get $30 and that's the end of it. So Mm. people are going to get starving. That's the um,
1: Russian version of universal basic income,
0: is it? Yeah, yeah, not not a very long basic income. So we need a new plan, you know, about localization and flexibility and ways of working, and so so businesses need a new plan. Essentially, is what I'm saying. And behind that plan sits a new structure. You know, how will businesses be structured in the future? And we need a new new way of making sense of all of this. And that requires us to start to tune in a bit more as human beings, start to sense what's going on. You know, so that feeling agenda, sensing what's happening, not just rationally analyzing what's happening, try and sense it. So I think that, that's what I think when I'm, I'm saying you know, more meaningful lies, strategy, structure, and sense-making. And if I can just more unpack a bit, yeah. that a little bit more momentarily, Katie, the strategy piece is just new thinking you know, we've got to, you know, study to get better at thinking. You know, we've got to think about the way that we think, and and actually try and improve. Now, what's interesting about thinking is you can't just think your way into better thinking. You know, there's a different approach that we need to take. So we need to be a bit more thoughtful about how do we improve the quality of thinking in our business, in our lives? How do we do that? And, you know, simple terms, we have to study how to think better. In terms of the structure organizations, and we've already seen this with the network analysis work that we do, organizations have been moving away from old pyramidal hierarchical layers, you know, seven layers of management, silos, whether they're category or geographic silos, uh, and they've become networked organizations. So here's a, a picture I'm showing of what will be the future, you know, five, 10 years. And in some companies, this is this is actually a company right now. They're becoming much more organic looking three what we call three layered networked organizations with semi permeable membranes relating to partner organizations who's inside the company who's outside the company now fortunately there's technology uh, that exists right now network analysis technology that can show you how your company is currently operating so behind that new plan we need a new structure and there are technology tools that can show you what that new structure really looks like and what it needs to look like and then finally a new understanding of how we make sense, Mm -hmm. how we make sense of all of this. So there's this lovely quote from Marcel Proust, which is developing our sense-making. You know, the real voyage of discovery is not seeking new landscape, but having new eyes. And what that means is really a different way of making sense, a different sensory capability, a different sensory apparatus, and really putting that at the heart of our organizations. Becoming deliberately developmental organizations, DDOs. So the book I wrote about the past, present, future of HR recently. You know, HRDs become CHROs, become CPOs. I actually think they'll become CDOs, Chief Development Officers. So developing a new way of thinking, developing a new structure, developing a new way of making sense. So I think that that's my sort of you know what are the three takeaways from from this sort of webinar is. You know, what can I apply for my leadership, balance, meaning and sense making in terms of strategy and structure?
1: Okay, thanks, Alan. There's a a couple of questions about how can we ensure we appoint and elect leaders who already possess the abilities that you talk about?
0: Well, we've got to. The good news here is that you can measure maturity and sophistication. There's a very rich academic literature on a phenomenon called vertical development, widely recognized, certainly in America, as the leading trend in leadership for the whole next 10 years. So you can, we've got to move away from measuring leaders in a descriptive way, describing personality or typology or strengths, and actually measuring leaders developmentally, which means what level of sophistication is this leader operating from? And there's a whole bunch of assessments. We've got some, other people have got others. A whole bunch of assessments where you can assess a leader's sophistication. You know, we need more mature, wiser leaders. And that starts by realizing that. And then secondly, how do we measure it? How do we measure how mature and sophisticated this leader is in front of us? And then once you measure development, it sets you up to succeed. Because, you know, say I I measure your development, Katie, you know, say you're at level five. Well, okay, well, how do I get to level six? And what does level six look like? is if you do developmental assessment and measure adult development, people are very familiar with child development, but there's also adult development. If you measure adult development, you can see where this is going. So leadership development becomes about development. And so much leadership development out there is basically about learning. You know, let's just acquire a bit more knowledge and a few more skills. You know, let's send somebody to some, you know, exalted business school, and they go away at $60,000 for three months on the advanced leadership program. And all they do is they learn some skills, and they have a few presentations from Google. It's all very interesting stuff, of course, but they go in at, you know, level five development, and they come out level five development, really developed, they're just more knowledgeable. So that's got to change, we, we actually need development that develops people, I become a different human being. And that's a good thing a more mature, a more sophisticated, a more subtle, a more nuanced human being. And that's what we've got to look for.
1: And just to that point, I suppose, just, just getting you to, to, to kind of further that out, what, what, what does that mean? You say subtle and more nuanced, but Jonathan's asking, typically the leaders who rise to the top are the more selfish, individualistic ones. How will this balance be reversed?
0: Well, first of all, recognising that you know, we've created a, a corporate model Which kind of promotes that, you know, promotes narcissism, solipsism, egocentricity, excessive bullying, aggression, you know, in this sort of hierarchical pyramidal dog-eat-dog world, and keep promoting the person that shouts the loudest and bullies the most. So we've got to say that that's no longer appropriate. That's not an appropriate model. Fortunately, there are some companies realizing that that's. That might have been okay in the sort of 50s and 60s and 70s, but it's just not appropriate in today's world. And I think we've got to start having that conversation, saying we're looking for different sorts of leaders for the future, leaders who've got some humility, you know, who can, who can come on television and say, look, I just don't know yet, I haven't thought that through, and I, I need to think about that a little bit more. That's what we're looking for, not these soundbite people who are pretending they know everything and all answers to all questions some of these questions are very complicated. So we've got to start having a more robust debate in every single company, and every single boardroom about the nature of leadership itself and what leadership for the future really looks like and stop, to Jonathan's point, promoting and revering these excessively individualistic uh, people. Now, the, the good news is many companies have already clocked that and are already on that agenda. So we've just got to roll that out much more widely.
1: Okay. Another question is the current crisis has enabled many people to reflect on how they create meaning and how they live their lives. What advice would you give us to prevent us sinking back into old ways of being and doing?
0: It's a great question. So first of all, as always, you know, when asked, well, what what do we do about X, Y, or Z? Manage yourself. Balance your own emotions before you do anything else. Because if you're spun around and confused and worried and panicky, your brain shuts down, you can't think clearly, you will make poor choices. So first port of call before you do anything is to manage your own emotional state. Once you're in calmer waters and you can see more clearly, then you've got choices. And so those choices is starting to just wonder about, well, have I really changed? You know, and what's very ironic with all the leaders we work around the world, as you know, Katie, is many leaders wear no change as a badge of honour. You know, this is the way I am. I've always led this way. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I've been this way since I was 10. And frankly, that's disastrous. I often joke with people that, you know, the proudest day of my life was when my wife said, you're not the man I married. And I thought, great. You know, I was a fool when she married me. You know, hopefully I've grown up a bit since then. You know, so... We should be wearing as the badge of honour how much I've evolved, how much I've matured, how much I've developed as a leader, not how identical I was to when I was 20.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's understanding how... that and, and seeing that as a, as a valuable asset within business, isn't it? That That's the challenge. But like you say, there are ways to measure that and there are ways to help people to see greater and greater perspectives. There's another question on here. How do we deal with leaders that are waiting to come back to the previous normal as soon as possible?
0: Well, it's foolhardy, really. You can't go backwards. I mean, that's that's like saying, you know, well, let's not evolve, you know. But how do know, we
1: deal t- with leaders that are waiting for that? The people that are just saying, we just need to get over these next few weeks, and then we're going to kind of get back to where we where we were. Well, I
0: think we have to challenge that. We have to challenge that way of operating, and and actually, I, I actually think that society will deal with them because businesses that try to regress will get taken out ultimately, because you, you can't succeed in the long run by regression. In the short term, you can be, oh, let's go back to the good old days, you know, and let's go back to how things were. And, 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 I, and I understand that, in, that motive to do that. What people are doing when they're saying that is they just want some comfort, they want a bit of peace and quiet they want things to be a bit more comfortable you know but as winston churchill you know one of the greatest leaders of the uk has seen has said that when you're going through hell keep going right don't don't turn round and go back into the you know keep going keep moving forward keep progressing keep evolving so dealing with those people uh, who want to go back to the previous, the, 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 the claimed good old days, I think you have to challenge that, that thinking. You have to challenge that narrative and say, look, you know, how can that be right? You know, because if we go back to the way things used to be, we've learned nothing. We've learned nothing if we go back. You know, surely we need to figure out what have we learned through this crisis? What is, what is humanity trying to teach itself through this crisis? You know, what have we learned through all of this, this pain and this suffering? Because if we go back, that The risk is we've learned nothing. We've learned absolute nothing. And it would be a travesty. You know, the quarter of a million or half a million people who end up dying as a result of this will have died in vain. We will have learned nothing. We shouldn't go back. We should go forward and go forward with a new level of sophistication, maturity and subtleties I am talking about.
1: Okay, a question from Alexandra. What is your view of agile ways of working? Do you think this will be helpful in the future?
0: Well, we're already moving into that space is that, again, three-layered networks organizations are, by definition, agile. And we're seeing many companies in our client base become, you know, talking about scrums and swarms and scrum masters, starting to operate in multifunctional teams, multi-geography teams, just trying to solve a problem, swarming together, uh, figuring that out, fixing it, and then passing it to a much smaller team who can do maintenance and steady state, and the swarm disperses and moves to another problem. So that's the way it's going. And that's why this network analysis technology is incredibly powerful, because it can show you who you need in the swarm and how many you need and who those people are. So it's already moving in that direction in terms of agility. So agility is going to be, you know, going to accelerate. You know, we're going to have to, as individuals and teams and organizations, become super agile you know, and and, but that's what will happen. and We're seeing it already, you know, through the network analysis.
1: Another question, Alan, the recession of 07 to 09 saw transformational companies emerge in segments such as the gig economies and alternative currencies. What innovations or transformations do you see emerging from this crisis?
0: Well, I think people will see that well being has to change. I mean, I I wrote a blog some time ago, about the nature of well being that it's interesting it's a good thing by the way that we can talk much more explicitly about mental health that's a really really good thing but even though the fact that we've been pouring more and more money into mental health and we're able to talk you know with royal support these days about the nature of mental health the data's been getting worse and i honestly believe that's because we're barking up the wrong tree we're not addressing it in the way that we need to address it so one of the things to the questioners Uh, point is what will come out of this is people will start to realize we need a fresh approach, new eyes, as Marcel Proust would say, the the journey of discovery, we need new eyes and a new narrative for mental health. And I think the the narrative that that I'm suggesting for people is it's not mental and it's not health. And what I mean by that is what's going on is really emotional uh, regulation, is that if you imagine, Katie, you know, a two-year-old child, most people who experienced. two-year-olds are not the most emotionally regulated individuals. And when they become sort of four or six, they develop some emotional skills. And if you keep that trajectory going, eventually you can get to a level of emotional regulation where you don't have to worry about panic and anxiety because you get sufficient ability to manage those types of emotions. Now, if you don't teach those skills in school or later in life then all human beings are at the mercy of panic and worry and anxiety and concern and then being overwhelmed by those phenomena at any moment. And unfortunately, that's how many adults live. And it's because we never really taught those things properly in school. Uh, And we really should uh, teach those things. If you develop those capabilities, then some of the things that are referred to as mental, which, by the way, are largely emotional, uh, a lot of it, actually disappear. So there's some real concrete things. And I think one of the new companies, you know, companies that might emerge and do well, like the gig economy question, is companies that can really deliver on the mental health agenda in a way where most organizations haven't. So I think we'll see the rise of that sort of thing. I think we'll see the rise of you know, personalization as everybody's going digital you know, time will always be a precious commodity. It's one of our most precious things. So personalization software uh, programs that can get you to what you're looking for super fast. That's going to become a big thing in the future is we don't want to waste time on the internet trying to search for things. We want to find those things fast. Mm -hmm. So it will be companies like that, tech companies that are tuned into real human needs, solving real human problems. I think we'll see a rise of those companies. And as, as I said earlier on, companies that can service the bottom of the pyramid because poverty is going to be an issue moving forward that can deliver quality food at affordable prices not junk food they'll do well so those types of companies I think would do well
1: just to um, return to education briefly Alan because I know in complete that uh, we're working on on an educational arm is there anything you want to say about that
0: yeah. So when when we set the company up, my wife and I actually did three years worth of pro bono work in uh, Southampton, which is near where we live. Uh, and what we saw is when you teach children, and, and we went into twelve inner city schools in Singer States in Southampton, when you teach children how to self regulate, it's an unbelievable game changer. Not only to their academic performance, which improved dramatically, you know, and the behavioural disruption in school dropped, you know, dramatically, and you know, teacher stress levels dropped dramatically, all through people being more effective in their ability to regulate themselves. And I remember this one particular example before we started the whole program, we were talking to the head teacher and his senior staff in the staff room, having a meeting about what we wanted to do. And another member of staff came from across the other side of the school. She was having a problem in her classroom with this kid, let's let's call him Dylan. Uh, and Dylan, uh, you know, was uh, just beating somebody up. Uh, And she came in, knocked on the door and asked, you know, head, can you come and sort Dylan out? And he went, no, no, I can't. You know, you'll have to sort him out yourself. I'm in a meeting. She said, no, no, you don't realise. It needs the head to sort him out. He says, no, no, you don't realise I'm in a meet. Anyway, it was a bit of a Mexican standoff for a few seconds. And so then the head excused himself, went and got older Dylan, who was an eight-year-old kid with clenched fist. Frog marched him back to the meeting room where we were sat. I brought this kid Dylan in and threw him at me. said, here, here are Watkins, you're clever, you fix him. And so this little toughy kid, you know, youngest of five kids from this sink state in Southampton, came into this meeting and I sort of sat him down and I started to show him his, his own biology uh, and showed him how to control his own biology, not, not through any sort of theoretical framework. I just literally showed him his biology live and showed him how to control his breeding, which gave him control of his biology. And within one or two minutes he'd got control of his biology. So what was very interesting about that is that, you know, here was a kid whose life was not working at all. You know, his, his teacher thought he was a pain. His classmates didn't like him. You know, his brothers, oldest brothers and sisters bullied him. His dad was in prison. I mean, his life was in a mess. And then in five minutes that morning, he discovered actually there was one thing in his life he could control. And it turned out it was him. And he learned that in, you know, three or four minutes. And he went out of that room, 10 feet tall, because he realized he could learn to control himself. And it became a bit of a sort of metaphor for the whole program uh, that we ran in school. So what keeps us excited is, it, it, once you know how to fix these things, it's amazing how quickly can people can make progress. I mean, I've taught my own four boys all of these skills, people can make real progress on some stuff that's been troubling them, for, frankly, for years if you know exactly what to do, if you think about it really, really deeply and study it, and that's kind of been the pain of my life. I've been geeking out on this for, you know, 25, 30 years. There are some things that can really help and really improve the quality of life pretty quickly.
1: Okay, I think we've got time for one more question. The current pandemic, it's quite a long one, thrusts health versus wealth firm means a spotlight. The current institutionalized disease in many organisations is a disconnect between words and actions. We hear all the right words and platitudes, but don't see or feel the actions to back them up. Won't the people who are fortunate to return to employment after all this be too grateful or too meek to challenge this paradigm?
0: Well, great, great question from Jonathan there. And that is the risk, I'm afraid. If too many people uh, drop into the, oh, thank goodness I've got a job and don't think and reflect about the meaning and don't make sense of what happened, then you know, it's gonna be a disaster. So you know, I hope that this pandemic will wake up humanity, will wake up enough people, uh, and enough people will take a different view, Jonathan. Enough people will go, well, hang on a minute. We've just been through a terrible time. What does it mean? You know, what does it mean that this pandemic happened? What have I learned? And in what way will my life be different? So if people just go back to work and, th- oh, thank goodness that's over and I'm grateful I've got a job. Anyway, head down, let me pretend like it never really happened. Then we'll have learnt nothing and all of those deaths will have been in vain. But I hope people will take a different path. In fact, you know, I encourage people to strongly, you know, if, if you've got any brains in your, in your head, you know, to think about it a bit more carefully and, and actually turn the opportunity into a transformation of myself, of us. And how we relate to each other, and of our organisations, and how we're proceeding as humanity. Goodness me, Katie! If if this doesn't wake humanity up, you have to wonder what will.
1: What's going to? So I really hope
0: it will wake us up, and it will help us grow up finally, grow up into realization that we have to live our lives differently. Uh, One more question, Alan. Yeah. One more question. We're talking.
1: Somebody asked. uh, Aiden's asking about the talking about qualities referred to in spiritual growth. Covey's seventh habit is about staying Mm. sharp mind, body, heart, and soul.
0: Well, spiritual growth, if you will, you know, depending on how you see spirituality, you know, let's call it, you know, how you make, you know, meaning. So the spiritual path is really uh, trying to see a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning to the existence of our lives. So if that's what you mean, yes, I'm talking about that. I'm talking Uh, about, you know, making sense of anything that happens to us as human beings. And, you know, if we can start to develop our mind, take better care of our body, you know, uh, of our heart and our soul, uh, as Aidan says, that would be a good thing. And therefore, the whole pandemic will have served humanity. So I really hope and encourage people to think a bit more deeply about the meaning of this crisis and how they can use this crisis to change the way they're living their lives for the better. Let's be less consumptive. Let's be less self-interested. You know, all those balance points. Let's do something about the inequity in society. Let's not make it acceptable that bullies lead companies. You know, let's start challenging some of that and saying, look, we've had that. It didn't work. We've tried it. There's a better way. And there is a better way. And again, the good news is, is if you're onto the better way agenda, then our lives can be much more enriched, not in a pecuniary sense, because money can't buy you happiness, but in a sort of life sense, you know, a much richer, with a small r, life than just a stack of cash.
1: Alan, as ever, thanks very much for the, for the wisdom of this week. Next week, we're going to be having a look at what has changed in the way that we relate to each other as human beings our family our colleagues our neighbors what's changed in that relationship so it's called we sustain the change community culture and relationships it's on at three o'clock on thursday may the 21st really hope you can uh, join us for that and thank you very much for joining us today bye -bye.
0: thanks everybody for listening If we've piqued your curiosity, or you've enjoyed anything we've talked about in this podcast, please subscribe, email us, or just visit our website at complete-coherence.com.